the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 43, Podcast Crossovers, Volume 3. Hello everyone and welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss, recording solo for a change. This is the third volume of segments we've recorded for other podcasts, and we're going to start with something we did for the Round the Archives 2019 Christmas edition. In it, we look at Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe! Hello everyone, and hello to listeners of Round the Archives. This is the Exton Moss Experiment, breaking in yet again. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And we have a little podcast, largely inspired by Around the Archives, actually, where we look at classic television and a few other bits and pieces that we just fancied watching at the time. And we've done the occasional little snippet for Around the Archives. I've known Andy and Lisa for more years than any of us probably care to remember. Andy and I used to work together in a chemical factory in Poole when we were a significant amount younger. And what we're going to watch today and then talk you through is something that will be very familiar for those of you of a certain age who used to watch Saturday morning's kids' telly or who used to watch the uh, the morning telly that was on in school holidays in the early 80s, I suppose it would have been. The American black and white Flash Gordon. And we're going to watch the first episode of Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe, and this is from 1940. So that make it make it the oldest thing that we've watched so far, isn't it? It's by far the oldest thing. Um, and yes. only the second American thing that we've watched. Third. Third, yeah. We're drifting across the pond more frequently these days. Before we launch into the glory of 70-year-old American television, should we uh, get out the sonic screwdrivers? We should indeed. What have we got for tonight? Well, today's tonic screwdriver is Papillon Gin, which is... Has 17 different botanicals for a complex full flavour, including Dartmoor botanicals. So it has, um, among other things, gorse flowers, hawthorn, rowan berries, and Devon violets. Far be it so, for me to dispute the uh, the card. It tastes like it's made from butterflies. It's wonderful stuff. This is lovely. There's so I mean, many. It is lovely. Flavors. I have no mm. idea what a butterfly tastes like. You've obviously had a more varied diet than I've had. Actually, well, one must try everything once. Um, I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> Diving off a cliff. There is Morris dancing. <laughs> to be fair, there's Morris dancing. There are so many flavours in there that all work. I can't separate them out, but it's a bloody lovely gin. It, it is absolutely lovely. It's subtle. It doesn't hit you straight off, and but it just has layers of taste that, that comes through. So you have a sip and it, it's quite floral. And then more woody notes come through mm. and barky tastes... And it just kind of hits you with wave after wave. This yeah. is absolutely lovely. There's a very slightly sharp aftertaste to it. But I I rate my gins these days on how quickly I could finish the glass. And I could happily neck that. I'm giving it five. Oh, oh this is a definite five for me. I don't dare rate mm. it on that scale because I rate pretty much everything a five. Mason's Yorkshire Tea Gin. Oh, that was, that was awful. Really looking back, I should have given that negative Bernard's. But this we, is five Bernard's. We have Bern- discussed negative yeah, Bernard's before. We have. But five out of five on the Bernard scale. Very definitely for the Papillon gin. So, we're happy with that. We're now that we've, we've downed a gin, well, we're halfway downing a gin, shall we open the Black Archive and see what's in there? This is our next reg- regular segment, and 
it's where we look at things that don't exist anymore, but we would like to. So, Ken, what's your choice for something that we'd love to see come back to the archive? Pulling out of the archive today, I'm going to choose the 1949 BBC version of The Time Machine. Nice. It was never recorded, it was broadcast live, and there are scant production photos, but from what little there is on the net, um, the production photos look very nice. Yeah, I think I've seen three, and it got very, very good reviews. It did. At the time. Science fiction in those days was uh, a bit of a rarity. So, well, on, on BBC television, it certainly was. And it's just the fact that it's missing, and I love the time machine. So that's and, and that's, I think it was the only science fiction TV that the BBC did in the 1940s. I wouldn't like to go that far. I don't know enough about archive TV. It just—it's a significant gap because I love HG Wells, and so that's going to be the one that I pull out of the archive. And to date, I think it's the only British TV adaptation of the Time Machine. Other HG Wells stuff's been done. I don't think the Time Machine has. It's been made into films a couple of couple of times. I wouldn't like to say. I don't think it has. If you know any different boys and girls, please do write in. What's your choice? My choice, and I'm I'm going to move away from archive television. Okay. And recognise that there are films that are missing from the archives as well. Fair and you. I'm going to choose a Lon Chaney horror film called London After Midnight. It's about a serial killer in London. It's one of the um, sort of holy grails of missing horror films. There are, again, a very few production stills from it. It was supposed to have been incredibly, incredibly creepy. And with missing films, because they were globally distributed for use in cinema, there's actually a bit of a higher chance of things coming back. There was um, the full version of Metropolis from the 1920s uh, and added about an extra 40 minutes or something. It was a huge chunk Mm. that was dropped out. I mean, it's a giant chunk of a film, but for that era, it's two hours of film or something. Yeah. Have we actually got the full, full version of Metropolis now? I think so. Um, I think it was found somewhere in Brazil, Argentina, 10 or 15 years ago. Because that was the, there was a, um, an original version which was much longer, wasn't it? Is that um, yeah, that's, yeah, what it was that's found. the one. And the other, what was the other one? From a slightly earlier, Nosferatu. That was another one that was cut to pieces and found in bits everywhere, mm. and then a, a full version of that turned, or more or less a full version, didn't it? I think so. I, I'm not sure that one's 100% complete, mm. um, but I, I think the version of Metropolis that turned up is complete. Those are our choices for the Black Archive, so we will crack on with Flash Gordon and let you know what we think. Chapter one of Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe with Larry Buster Crab. Following in the wake of the distressed condition of the world, a ravaging plague has visited the Earth. The purple death that leaves only a purple spot on the forehead of its victims. The world's greatest scientists have assembled to combat this mysterious malady. Listen to this. Just sighted a strange spaceship from another planet, which Zarkov believes has connection with Purple Death. Investigating Flash Gordon. Okay, we've just watched chapter one of uh, Flash Gordon. Conquers the universe. This was the third of the Buster Crab film serials from the 1930s. This one was made in 1940 and was later condensed into a film version called The Purple Death from Outer Space. It must be 
hell of a condensation because it's 13 episodes. 13 episodes of about 25 minutes each down to an hour and a half is cutting out a it lot. It was a feature-length film. It's still not going to be much more than an hour and a half, is it? <laughs> that was fairly terrible. Um, it ranged from the wildly hammy to the absolutely amateur in, in terms of acting. It's very, very much of its time. Although I've got to give kudos to... I, you're, you're busting to come in here, but I've got to give kudos to some of the special effects in terms of set design. Put the sets look fantastic. Yes, they have. Costume design is, is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say, I, I really enjoyed that. It's For anybody of my era who used to watch this on, the, uh, on telly in the mornings when uh, you're on school holidays, this is incredibly nostalgic and incredibly entertaining. Yes, it's not the greatest. There is some hammy acting. Ming is dreadful and always has been dreadful. Yeah. Dale Arden's entire role is to turn up and um, and get changed into a posh frock and then get left behind. And Flash Gordon turns up in a, a shirt and tie at the beginning of the film. He's flying a spaceship in a shirt and tie. I th- isn't that supposed to be sort of military uniform without a jacket? No, it just looks like a shirt and tie. It's terrible. But he gets a pantomime costume of his own. The, the, the costumes are very pantomime. The so Ming the Merciless, though, is very reminiscent of Max von Sydow 40 years later. They're almost speakers are comparing it to Max von Sydow and he improved on the part. Enormously, yes. yeah. I was Because when we first put this on, the copyright notice says 1934, so we mm. actually thought that IMDb had got it wrong, but the, uh, the film itself is credited as 1940. But so I was looking at it as it, of its time, and yes, you've got little sparklers coming out of the spaceships on wires. It's nearly 80 them. years ago. It is. But then I looked at it and thought, only 12 years later, there was War of the Worlds. And there's a chasmic difference there. There is, but this this was not on the, the budgetary scale of War of the Worlds. It's no excuse. I mean, before this, you'd had things like Metropolis. Yes. So this, this was a cheap filler. Mm-hmm. It's of its time. Um, it, it's of its time. It's incredibly bits. entertaining. Um, oh, for you, maybe. I th- that was torture. Oh, goodness me. I do remember seeing these on Saturday mornings. Because Saturday morning kids' TV was filmed with black and white stuff. I remember things Champion like... Champion the Wonder Horse. And the Little Rascals and things like that. Um, wild Horses. Don't remember or that what, one. Was it Wild... No, White Horses. No, I still don't remember that Some one. Some dreadful French thing. It, it, it's got a very nostalgic theme tune. I suspect if you saw any of it now, it would be dire. Yeah. So what for a later episode then? Yeah, wake me up when it's over. In terms of, it's just a real shame. I think the part, part of the problem is, you're, as you've said, it's an 80-year-old film print. It's not been archived terribly well. There's not a lot of commercial value in it, so it's just been stored in a cupboard somewhere. Looking at it, it could probably be cleaned up quite a long way, but there's absolutely no commercial value in doing it. So why would they? The sound's quite indistinct in a lot of places. And and does vary a lot in level. Yeah. So um, from a technical point of view, that doesn't do it any favours. Sets look great. They um, they do, yeah. The rocket ships are actually pretty good. I mean, I, I can't actually look at those rocket, rocket ships and not see the rocket ship from Flash Gordon. I wonder where they got their influence from for the Flash Gordon 1980 movie. A little from column A, a little from column B. I, I, I think it might have been, it might have been. Although I don't remember the Penosaurus turning up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and don't forget the pit room. A room that's just got a big pit in it. Yeah, which Flash Gordon falls into at the end of the, the episode we watched. Big dramatic cliffhanger. 
we watch the start of episode two and he grabs onto a convenient sort of hook hanging out of the wall that nobody else has managed to grab onto when they've been knocked down into mm. the pit. Considering that they fell about 200 yards in the end of chapter one, yeah. I think if he had grabbed onto a hook after that, it would have torn his arm out of the socket. Yeah, but if, if you look at the um, the way they they had those little models falling down the pit in chapter chapter two, it was only the bloke who went who fell in with him that went down. So there, there was always an accusation that they uh, the cliffhangers of Flash Gordon and King of the Rocket Men and Buck Rogers and all of those sort of were they gratuitously re-edited? Yes, well, no, refilmed. <laughs> But it is what it is, and it was of its time. I I really enjoyed that. Do you mean nobody had a DVD player to pick faults in this in 1940? How remiss. Yeah, I could quite happily not watch another chapter of Flash Gordon of its time, but that bored the arse off me. <laughs> well, fair enough. But we were coming at this from oh, different so angles. Yes, I, I was very young when I saw the repeats of this when I was younger. So oh, I wasn't. Yeah. Right, so we will, we will leave it there. We've got a, a mixed review on that one. Uh, but they're they're quite fun to watch, and particularly if you remember them from the time, it, it's very nostalgic. It's very summer holidays. That I remember, you know, the six week holidays from school. This Skippy was, was another one that used yes, to be it on. was. Um, and Flipper, Flipper, I actually quite enjoyed, but Skippy, I just remember the young boy kept touching Skippy's ass. Even when I was a kid, I thought it was very weird that he kept giving Skippy a little tap on the ass to get him to move. Um, well, maybe he'd watch plebs. See previous episode for this reference. <laughs> yeah, see our sitcom episode. <laughs> We've smashed our way into Andy and Lisa's podcast. We shall sidle out quietly. Thank yes. you for giving us um, the time of day. We'll, we'll take our gin and hand it back and hand the podcast back to the experts. We shall see you in another podcast. Take care. Bye now. In January 2020, Simon recorded the second of his medical phone-ins for Killer Rabbit in an episode entitled A Five Ounce Bird. Thanks, rabbits. So, we've got a little surprise for you again, folks. Surprise. A little surprise. You may have heard his voice on season two, and it's time once again to invite to the Killer Rabbit podcast our favourite medical professional. It is the Doc. The Doc. The Doc. Hello, rabbits. Hello, Doc. Hello. Hi, Doc. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thanks. So you joined us back on season two and told us a very funny story about Edward. Oh, Edward. Oh, yes. You did indeed. (laughs) If you haven't heard that, go back to season two and check out our very first remote interview with the Doctor and have a listen to that story. It is definitely, definitely worth a listen. And you coming back tonight to join us to tell us some more stories from your career as a, a medical practitioner. Is that the right word? Practitioner. Um, no, it's a word. It's a, um, it's it a word. <laughs> yeah, it is a word. Um, actually, I think you also had one of my stories in season one, didn't you? About the mobile phone. Oh, we definitely told the story, but season two was the first time we got to hear your beautiful dulcet tones. <laughs> it was. Uh, there seems to be a theme. <laughs> Lovely. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back on. Thanks for joining us. Doctor, Doctor. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to, uh, <laughs> it, it's good to talk. It's always good to have you on. And of course, you have your own podcast as well. We'll do another little plug for you before we get yeah, into it. Tell much. us about your podcast, sir. I do. I, I do a podcast called The Exton Moss Experiment with uh, my old and dear friend Ken and we talk shite and drink gin um, and watch 
old classic archive television, mainly science mm. fiction, and a lot of the time take the piss out of it. Yes. It's much more intelligent than this shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> it really isn't. Um, it's a bit more niche. Not everybody wants to hear about 50-year-old episodes of Doctor Who. Well, you, um, you but, started branching out to sitcoms recently a little bit more, talking about well, uh, the Hit Crowd, Black Books... Two of my favourites. Oh, you listened. Oh, absolutely. We, we've always done non-Doctor Who stuff, but he and I met as geeky Doctor Who fans, and that's kind of been the theme for the last 15 years. So we generally sort of try and do more non-Doctor Who stuff than Doctor Who, but it doesn't always work out that way. Well, you get more people in. People that like uh, the other stuff that you're talking about. Uh, well, yeah, in theory. Have you been, <laughs> been going about 18 months now? Yeah, 18, yeah. Bit over that, I, I think. Um, I don't know. We're quite at the two years, but we're not very far off. Okay, well, fantastic. Go check out the Exton Moss podcast. Certainly worth your ears. And if you would like to get into it, then, Doctor, tell us a little bit about what's been going on or what has gone on in the non too recent past. Right. Well, I was actually going to go back to the further, further past because the last <laughs> two stories, the last two past. stories of mine <laughs> that you've had. <laughs> Yes, going back right to when I very first qualified. The beginning um, of time. <laughs> can I ask a doc? Can I ask Thank a you, practical I'm not, question? I'm not quite at that this old. Point. <laughs> a practical question, doc. I need to ask a practical question. Really, at this point. Yeah, is it practical? Did you become a doctor because you like Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of. Yeah, that's close. That is good. Did like you that. believe that by going to uh, university you would discover time travel? <laughs> <laughs> No. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Never mind. Have you discovered time travel and you're just keeping it quiet? Um, I'll tell you last week. Oh! Hey! So we should already know. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Paradox. <laughs> so you're going back in time then, Doc. Hey. Yes, back, back to when I very first qualified and worked in A&E. And thinking about the last two lots of stories that uh, you've had from me, there's been a theme. There has been a theme. There has been a theme, and it's the, thinking back to the classic days of Fizz, it's the Up the Arse Corner. Up the Arse. Up the Arse Corner with the dog. (laughs) (laughs) You've just named your own segment. That's it. That's it now. (laughs) Up the Arse Corner with the dog. That that was a thing in Fizz, wasn't it? It's a a long time ago since I read it, but I'm I'm sure there was the Up the Arse Corner. Anyway, I worked in A&E for a while, and we were generally the first people who seen people <laughs> who can, come in with stuff stuck where it shouldn't be. Oh. Well, I suppose it depends on uh, on your thinking there. Some people <laughs> might think it's stuck exactly where it should be. <laughs> Until they couldn't remove um, it from where it should have been. Yeah, well, and that's why they end up in hospital going, it definitely shouldn't be there anymore. If you can, it take, it come out. Out. If you can take it out, then it's all right, really so I, I, I can pop my health advice um, hat on for a second <laughs> and say, if you particularly want to shove something up your ass, and no judgment on that whatsoever. Thank you. There are things specifically designed for that. So, and I can absolutely guarantee that any embarrassment you might feel going into a sex shop and buying a butt plug or a dildo or whatever you fancy is nothing compared to the embarrassment you will feel coming into an A&E department and saying, I've got a screwdriver shoved up my ass. Oh, a screwdriver. I get that stuck up the... Which, yeah. which end first? Oh, not pointy end. That would be a bad thing. <laughs> oh, God. Impaled. It needs it in gently. Oh. Um, but oh, yes, that, that was one that I saw. Um, the most common was generally bottles. I, I suppose. Oh, yeah, of course. Thing you have to hand. The specific um, one from the Florida aftershave. Oh, yeah, the Flor- Florida, <laughs> yeah, the Florida water. aftershave. Bar. Yes. 
Oh, God. Is, was there and a particular it, kind of common bottle or was it just bottles of all shapes and sizes? Um, so more squeezy ones, really, because they're a bit <laughs> rounder edged and easier to get in. <laughs> Those um, like unfortunately, fruit tubes. And <laughs> twist and pop. <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want to do that, just go out and get the right tools for the job. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, what would you recommend them? <laughs> Asking for a friend, Benson. Asking for, yes, a friend. <laughs> Gerald. <laughs> I would recommend going and talking to a professional at a sex shop. Fantastic. They, they Luckily, will, I've they got many friends. They'll be able to talk you through many of the, I'm, I'm sure, the fine wares that they have. Um, I thought you were saying yeah, talking it, through the insertion then, like step by step. First, that's, that's, well, that's the instruction manual. <laughs> this is how you use it, this object. Insertion isn't terribly complicated, to be honest. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> you talk, you are talking to Benson, Doc. Remember it's, it's, that. It's the retraction that's the hard part. <laughs> Which is when you end up in front of the Doc. Yeah. So bottles yeah, was a common one. Bottles was a common one. The weirdest thing I saw was a doll's head. Oh, <laughs> oh that's great. That's, that's just weird. We try to get the full doll up, do you think? And then they popped the bottom well, off when they came in. Recreate pregnancy. Yeah. Apparently the, do- <laughs> the doll's head had popped off and couldn't be extracted. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, that's fine. Imagine the x ray with the creepy smiling oh, doll. Oh, God, face no. Um, <laughs> most any departments have a collection of x rays oh, for educational purposes. Education, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I like the education. I do a lot of things for education purposes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I told them in the court, anyway. Um, and. You're particularly interested. I'm sure a Google search will show you more than you wanted to see. Yeah, mm. but once you've seen it, you can't unsee. That's I'm not sure problem. I want to do that, Doc. <laughs> that's that's true for many things. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it all hairy? Did it have like was it? Uh, what? I'm thinking the, the, the doll's doll? head. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were about yeah. the rectum. <laughs> <laughs> Quite long blonde hair that was still dangling out. Oh, <laughs> I bet it wasn't blonde anymore. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Sam's crying. Did you just did you just grab it by the hair and pull? Because that to me well, would make medically sensible. Medically sensible. sensible. It, it would be medically yeah, sensible. But, but but didn't work, so we had to get some forceps. Ah, in the bum. In, in the, the bum. Forceps are quite big normally. No, not not all of them, but I suppose yeah, you have different uh, size ones. I just have to go for the average, like commercially uh, store. How often do you go and buy forceps? <laughs> often. <laughs> <laughs> and what store commercially sells forceps? Sex shops. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair um, you, you can probably get in on Amazon. I mean, you can get plutonium on Amazon. Well, you that's can get plutonium, plutonium, uranium, semen test kit, semen test kits, semen test. Everything is on Amazon, right? Come on, Amazon forceps. <laughs> <laughs> How long does this procedure typically take? Then the um, doll's head. Well, <laughs> it depends on the. Well, the, the doll's head was fairly straightforward because you just got a speculum, cranked it all open, and a speculum. Some forceps. Oh, is that like a rectum stretcher? <laughs> Um, basically, yes. <laughs> Huge in the pond industry. Um, and then stuck, stuck a pair of forceps in and hoiked it out. But if oh, one was really just... stuck in there, then we might need to. We needed to sort of point them onto the surgeons and cut them open. For let them take over. A colleague of mine. I didn't actually see this, but a colleague of mine saw a 
Lubrush bristly side first. Oh. Nice. If you've got They're an itch, clean themselves. If, you, if you've got an itch, you got to get it. Yeah. A lubrush seems like a, a, a reasonable <laughs> idea. How many times do you get itches inside your rectum? Because this is not the first time you've mentioned this. I've Very had true. hemorrhoids. <laughs> yeah, they're not usually inside. Oh, yeah, they inside, outside. Oh, they're, yeah, they're everywhere well. that inside, outside, but- shake it all about. <laughs> <laughs> Doc, have you got any tips for hemorrhoids? <laughs> If I got any tips on hemorrhoids, don't get them. <laughs> Boom. Okay, fair enough. Well, you know, um, rule breaker. <laughs> so, are, they, are these people usually embarrassed when they have to say what their ailment is? Do they kind of whisper it, or are some people quite proud um, of the, the fact that they've got something foreign lodged up there? Really rectum? quickly, if somebody whispered to me, they would no, I've, heads I've never met bottom. anybody who was particularly proud by it, proud about it. <laughs> Nobody goes in just shouting it from the rooftops then. <laughs> I have got a doll's head in my bum. <laughs> and I must let you all know. <laughs> just in case it falls out. <laughs> oh, God. Well, actually, the, the bloke with the mobile phones wasn't particularly embarrassed about it. But Yeah, so if, you, if they've not heard that story, you actually had somebody with... with was it several mobile phones up there? Uh, three or four, I think. Three and or four, he, you he, know, standard. He, <laughs> He'd been in a nightclub and just nicking people's smartphones and, and he'd put each one inside a condom so it didn't get mucky. Um, <laughs> fair so enough, you know. A fair amount of common sense. And there are people there, there were people there who noticed that their phones were missing, so obviously got somebody else to try and phone them. And he'd forgotten to turn one of them off. <laughs> and not only was it on vibrate, so he oh, kind of reacted to it. Rattling with all the other phones as well. <laughs> Um, but it still had the, the ring tune, <laughs> which was Who Let the Dogs Out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a classic. Absolute classic. You see, this, um, this so, makes it sound like it's, it's good fun. Does this stuff happen quite regularly then? Um, we, might, we might have seen one a month or, or something. It, it, it's not a very common thing, but it, it happens regularly enough for us to be able to. One a month chat is still it. quite, still seems quite regular. I mean, how big is an anus, really? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question at this point, Doc. How, how big is a bottom hole? What do you mean? How stretchy can they be? How stretchy can they, they be? Because they, they can be very stretchy. Oh, really? <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll get back yeah. to you next week. <laughs> I'll do a little science experiment at home. And then I'll head down to Hull, over to Hull, across to Hull. Across. <laughs> and hopefully not hit any speed bumps on the way. You, you take yourself off to the A&E department. I don't work there, so... <laughs> then maybe we can bring our own stories of uh, anal insertion. Oh, we've all got one story this week, and it's about Benson. <laughs> now, I don't know if you're aware, Doc, but uh, all week Benson has been actually storing up some questions from some of our listeners to pose to you. I hope that's okay. So, um, Yeah, far away. Um, I... So, Benson, you, you've been gathering these listener stories, it's, it's... or questions, should I say. Yeah, it was actually quite a clever business idea because I was charging them all nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> To, to pass on to my friend the doc some uh, questions, okay. and then I will pass the, the the messages back on to tell them what they need to do. So first of all, Craig from um, where's he from Blackpool has a, a small issue, should we say? And basically, since the age of two, his penis never grew. Oh, and, a micro penis. Well, he says it's quite offensive to call it that because uh, that's the first thing I said. I went ah, micro penis. <laughs> And he went, actually, that's like making fun of a disabled person. So 
I stopped doing that and said, you know, okay, so what's the issue? And he's, he's just asking basically if there's any medication for it or is there any, like, exercises you can do? Exercises. Um, <laughs> or, you know, is, is there a surgical procedure where you can <laughs> enlarge the penis? Asking for a friend, bear in mind. This is Craig from Blackpool. Yeah. I've never heard of a Craig. On the, I, I've never seen a Craig from Blackpool on yeah. a listener page. So, so yeah. Well, you two I never know. talk to the fans, that's yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. We just miss them. So you didn't want to talk about it publicly. Craig from Blackpool, okay. number 49. Um, Blackpool so close. Blackpool <laughs> close. <laughs> Definitely not Benson yeah. view. Definitely not Benson living in Blackpool. <laughs> Pleasure Beach is good at this time of year. Right. As far as I'm aware, no, there isn't. Fuck. I'll let Craig know. I'll, I'll let him know. I'll, I'll disappoint him softly. <laughs> Literally. As soft as his micro penis. <laughs> uh, there is no Craig, is there, Benson? There is. Uh, <laughs> Doc, it's been an absolute pleasure once again. Thank you ever it's, so much. It's always a joy, Rabbit. Well, we are mm. going to get you to Leeds, even if you're not moving here. Definitely. We're going to take you out Rabbit style. Well, I'll get Craig time. out as well. <laughs> and Gerald and all of your other alter <laughs> Every egos. other personality that you seem to have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're bringing out 100 people and just Benson turns up. <laughs> Party! <laughs> so just before you go, Doc, you are one of our loyal patrons. I am. Yes. Thank you ever so much for your support. And you do so Woo. much on Twitter to ask people to support podcasts mm. that they love, just mm. to give them uh, the price of a drink uh, that they might buy the person that's making those podcasts to that, give mate, them their what thanks. Are you I don't even know. Saying? I'm just saying words. Just... I'm Someone just saying stop words. Him. Stop it. <laughs> I did. I did. So for anybody out there that's listening, that's umming and ahhing and thinking, should I say? Sign up as a patron to the Killer Rabbit podcast. What would you say to them, Doc? Right, well, I would kind of quote from a, uh, a podcaster called Connor Habib, who I've been listening to for years. Yeah. And what he, what he said about his podcast was that if you met the podcaster in person and would buy them a, a coffee or a drink to say thank you, it's the same thing as throwing them a few dollars on Patreon. Hey. So if, there, if there's a, a podcast that I listen to regularly, and there are, there are quite a few, and they've, they've got a Patreon. If I met them in a pub and I would buy them a, a pint to say thank you for being entertaining, I will put them some money on Patreon. And I think that's a, a good way to think about it. I like it. Well, I like bless it. your kind heart and thank you ever so much for your support. Pretty much since we started, Doc, it means the world to us. And it's always an absolute pleasure to have you on to tell us your stories from the medical world. Mm. It's good talking to you. Bless you, Doc. Thanks, Thanks for Thanks, Doc. Love you. Love you. Okay, bye Until now. Until next time. <laughs> and that was the Doc. Thanks once again for Thanks, featuring. Doc. Thanks, Doc. Thank you. Cheers. We love you. Cheers. The day afterwards, we got a name check on Adam Richards' podcast when Simon proposed a theory about Yaz from Doctor Who. Adam is an Australian comedian, and we've covered his sci-fi comedy series Outland in episode 25. It's well worth a look, particularly if you're interested in Doctor Who. He runs his own daily 10-minute podcast looking at individual Doctor Who stories, and we were lucky enough to get a mention in his edition on Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. 
Also, Simon Exton on Twitter. Oh, he is he does a great podcast called the Exton Moss Experiment, where he and his mate get um, increasingly drunk uh, and watch very, very, very old television or things that you can't normally find. They watched Outland and bless them, they were quite sozzled by the end of it. Bless, it was very, it's very cute. Please seek them out. Anyway, Simon says here's a spyfall theory. Yaz has been at the heart of the Master's Tardis since episode one. What? And it was a construct that left his security box. She's being used to project an increasingly weird series of places which will all collapse in an Escher nightmare and the Master will appear in a variety of rubbish disguises. Oh, it's Castrovalva! <laughs> the first Peter Davison episode. That's Adric that's stuck in the heart of the Master's TARDIS. Um, and look, there's some confronting business going on with Adric's pants. I'll talk about that in the next episode. We'll finish off with another piece that we did for Round the Archives. This is from March 2020, where we looked at the Vicar of Dibley, the window and the weather. Hello everyone, and a warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And we are once again invading round the archives with our ramblings. Today we're going to look at an episode of The Vicar of Dibley from the first series. Simon and I are on a mini recording session. We'd had this planned for quite a while and we'd already picked what we were going to watch and what little things we wanted to do. As it happens, I am a big, big fan of The Archers. And yesterday, one of the longest-serving cast members, Edward Kelsey, died. He played Joe Grundy since the mid-80s. And he happens to be in an episode of The Vicar of Dibley. So it's slightly changed what we're going to watch, but not very much. So we will get on to that shortly. Uh, for those of you not familiar with The Vicar of Dibley, it was a comedy series with Dawn French from the 1990s, centering around a female vicar in the fictional parish of Dibley, and all the concomitant hilarity that goes with having a female member of the clergy in the 1990s. It was quite good. It's one of those that I would dip in and out of. It was on. I always enjoyed it, but I I didn't enjoy it enough to make a real special effort to watch yeah. it every time. I always liked Dawn French's portrayal in it. The the Middle England attitude, how dare they send us a female vicar, always wound me up a little bit. Mm. And I know that it's supposed to be sending up that that attitude, but that the prevalence of that attitude in some in some of the characters, I just I just found grating. Having witnessed it firsthand in... In your role as a female vicar? No, in Bamber Bridge, I, I was sort of a peripheral member of um, a church. I was involved with various activities at a church. And they replaced a, a you know an old stalwart minister with a lesbian. And immediately, all this love and tolerance and God being God's creatures vanished out of the window and half of the congregation abandoned the church in outrage of this lesbian minister. I'm afraid my attitude would be well off you, fuck. Don't well, it wasn't... Don't let the door smack, smack I have in to the say ass it, on the way out. It, it spoke to me far more about the people that left than the people that stayed behind. See, I, I wasn't raised as a Christian, so this whole invisible friend thing kind of leaves me cold. I a long, long since lapsed. This is my... I was raised a Catholic for what it's worth, and... I'd already made the decision by about seven or eight that it was... Uh, there were a lovely set of stories, but they're not for me. Uh, so the... Yeah, and, and particularly with recent events in Sri Lanka, I've just reaffirmed that uh, killing each other to prove how peaceful your imaginary friend is is not my sort of thing. So me and religion have never really got on terribly well. 
But that said, this is about the Vicar of Dibley, and I did mm. quite like it. But again, it's from the same stable as Four Weddings and a Funeral and the British rom-coms that we've had over the years. They're all the the um, from the Curtis, Elton, Atkinson stable, and I do quite like yeah. it. So we will get on to that. The episode we're going to watch today is called The Window and the Weather, and it's one of my favourites, actually. Um, we'll get on to that in a sec. But first of all, uh, tonic screwdrivers at the ready. It's time for our gin review. <laughs> Today is another one of Simon's samplers, and what have we got for today? Today we have Porter's Tropical Old Tom Gin, which is apparently, according to the little card that they send out, a classical juniper base. I thought all gins had a juniper base, but a classical juniper base is lifted by tropical notes of passion fruit, guava, and white tea. Uh, Juicy tropical fruit notes are, um, are present. Floral honey, earthy juniper, and little warming citrus spice brings depth underneath. Apparently, they think it's a well-balanced, sophisticated gin with a hint of juicy freshness. Mm. Is that what you think? It's a somewhat floral description for a nice gin. I like it. It's not what I was expecting. You were expecting another gin ting. I was kind of expecting yeah. another gin ting from it's, that description. Um, it isn't. I hear the word tropical and I instantly think mango and passion fruit and pineapple. Um, I like it and it's one that I would happily go back to again and again. Is it a five? It's Coasting very close to five territory. I'm going to have to give it a high four. We, we don't do half marks. You can't no. have half a Bernard. No. It, it'll have to have four Bernards. Yes, but it's a, they're a good four Bernards. Yeah, okay. I think it's bland. I, I think that there's so little that's positive in here, it'd be impossible to actively dislike. Um, the Series 11 of gins. <laughs> That's what you said about Doctor Who series eleven. Yeah, but it's then not, it, it not positive enough to hate. But, but then I rewatched Rose and re, uh, Rosa and, and realised I was very very wrong about that. <laughs> See what this podcast has done? It made me rewatch Rosa. Yes. <clears throat> See episode. It wasn't as traumatic no. as rewatching Threads, but for for those of you who are interested, uh, episode fourteen of our podcast looks at series 11 of Doctor Who. It's not overwhelmingly positive, but we do it in a constructive way. But back to the gin. Back to the gin, two. Two? Yeah. Goodness me. Right. I'm, I'm not particularly impressed at all. You see, I like these sort of different gins. At least see, I don't think this is different. I think this is bland. It it tastes like straight off the, the shelf, run-of-the-mill gin. I the whole really? tropical notes and white tea and all this. Don't get any of it. Well, I'm not... I don't think that it's... Um, Quite as exciting as the card would make out. But and it's not as bad as the last tea-based uh, gin we tried. I must have mentioned this about 12 times now, but for anybody out there who's thinking about buying Mason's Yorkshire Gin, the tea edition, it's nowhere near as lovely in English as it sounds. It's awful. It's the only... Supermarket-owned brand is better. By a long way. but Yes, by a long way. That was a chore to drink. But no, I, I would go back to this, but... Um, Gosh, four and two, that's quite, quite a split for us, that. I've no problem drinking it because there's nothing sufficiently positive to dislike. Mm. Oh, but there I, I, would, I wouldn't willingly go for it again. Supporters Tropical Gin. A very mixed review. Moving on. Our next regular segment is the Black Archive. This is where we go down into the basement underneath Maverick Studios and we pull out a lost bit of television that I am hoarding in my private collection and we release it back into public domain. What have you got for today? Oh, I'm going first. You're going first. Right, okay. I would like to bring back a... 
I was thinking about this, and since we're doing a comedy programme, I'd like to bring back a lost comedy programme. And the one I'd like to bring back is a Terry Scott vehicle called the Gnomes of Dulwich. Right, you've got me on this. Um, what was that? None of it survives. It was a six-episode comedy from the late 60s with Terry Scott and a number of other people playing garden gnomes. It was apparently very, very entertaining. And I think that would just be fun to watch. Right. Um. Well, I, on the other hand, I'm going to go down a bit of a different route. It's... An episode of something I'm not even sure that actually exists. The documentation is there. It's a children's programme from the 1980s, Button Moon. And the very last episode, which was all sort of scripted and ready to go, I believe, and there are production notes for it, is called Goodbye Button Moon, the very last episode, which it was certainly never transmitted. It's whether it was actually made. And it all sort of brought it to a, a close. It's one that I don't actually know anything about, but I would be interested to see. I never really saw Button Moon. It was it was quite a bit after my yeah. time, and there are some kiddie stuff that I looked at as as an adult and really enjoyed. So we talked about the trapdoor. Yeah, I love oh, the trapdoor. Trapdoor was great. Yeah, Button Moon was just a little bit too kiddie kiddified for me. Well, by the time Button Moon came along, you would have been what thirteen. So yeah, a little bit outside your viewing schedules at the time. I grew up with it. I was. Um, was three or four when it started and by the time it finished my sister was watching and she was uh, a bit younger than I am so I've got very fond memories of Button Moon the theme tune of course sung by Peter Davison and Sandra Dickinson it's fluff and it's silly but I, I, I've got very fond memories on it so that's nice you're not going to make me watch an episode of it at some yes, point yes I am there's a somewhere in the archive there is a DVD with Button Moon on I've it, already it? sat through Thomas the Tank Engine which was awful yeah, it was not awful Thomas the Tank Engine particularly the very early ones when it was done at Shepparton were wonderful the, but you had to grow up with them I think it, the one that you, you chose I mean, it was a bit Edgar Allan Poe because they bricked him up behind a, uh, a wall <laughs> but still kept his head poking his eyes poking out so he could see what was going on um, I, I, I thought that was a bit extreme for kiddies telly to be they, they warmed him up mm, yeah when he... so he could see his friends going past and... yeah all good clean family fun walling up yeah. alive and yeah I suppose when you put it that way Shall we crack on? Shall we get closer to God? Uh, our full reaction to um, <laughs> to the, the joys of Thomas the Tank Engine will be on our Kids TV episode. Which may already be out by the time this goes out. But And when it comes out, it will have a surprise guest slot from none other than around the archives. It will. We've done as a splendid piece on Pipkins. They have. It's fantastic. So we'll look kind forward to that. Kind of puts ours to shame. It does, really. That was toward, towards the end of an evening after quite a bit of chin. And, and Andy and Lisa are far more structured about things than we are. We just sort of so, ramble with gin. We, <laughs> sober as well. So oh, no, they, we, they do a gin review oh, they do, as well. They, they, they have, yes. yes. You, you've got Especially for us, they brought gin in. Okay, once again, we are segueing. Shall we play the tape and let's see what, uh, see what we've got? So this is uh, Vicar of Dibley from 1990. It'll be mid-90s, 94, I think. And it's called The Window and the Weather. Okay, so that was The Window in the Weather from the first series of The Vicar of Dibley in 1994. 
Uh, I have seen this first series, certainly at the time, quite a few times. What did you think? I, I really quite enjoyed that. Um, there weren't a massive number of real laugh-out-loud mm. moments, but there were a few. Yeah. Um, I realised that I'm remembering it a little unfairly because this was, looking at this, the fourth episode of the first series. Yeah. Um, my recollection was that an awful lot of the humour was directed about the fact that there's a woman vicar and people in the village not coping with that terribly well. But actually, by the fourth episode, they've accepted completely the fact that she's a vi- uh, she's a woman. Um, From memory, um, I think it's only in this first series, it only plays a part. It's certainly a, a major factor in the very first episode. Mm. And it's sort of a driving point for the plot in the last episode of this series. Beyond that, it's never really... Yeah, so I've, really crops up again. I've, I've, I'm remembering it unfairly. Yeah, there are a couple of laugh out loud bits. Um, nice bit, bit towards the end where she um, get, gets one over on the, um, the, the financial blokey. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that's leapt out at me at this is it's actually very well written. And again, Richard Curtis, who was a, a I think he wrote most of them, if not all of them. Mm. Well, what we haven't done is describe the plot. I suppose it would help viewers who haven't seen. Uh, yes, it's, as I say, it's set in the, the uh, little English village of St Barnabas, and one night they have a well, colossal storm. Yeah, the parish of St Barnabas, the vicar, yeah. The gin's kicking in, this uh, lovely gin that you don't like. Of Dibley, yes, it rips through Dibley, this storm, and a tree gets blown through the window of the church. Most of the episodes open with a parish council meeting in the church itself. And this is no different. So they all end up sat around discussing how they're going to raise the £11,000 they need to replace the window. Uh, cue much hilarity. Uh, they have a raffle where they go around the village showing raffle tickets for a fiver for raffle prizes that don't actually exist. Uh, that, that bit was really quite funny. <laughs> and that was where Edward Kelsey pops up. Yeah. Joe Grundy's there in his garden. Uh, before the vicar rings round one of the rich parishioner's rich friends and fleeces him in quite a convivial way out of a further £10,000, and they replace the window. In the meantime, it's on the news that there's been earthquakes in Colombia and all these school children and uh, families have been left homeless. So they replace the stained glass window with just a plain glass window that gives them a lovely view of the sunset and they donate the rest of the money to the orphan appeal. And it's all very, very English, and it's very homely, and it's just comfort viewing. There's nothing offensive about it as such. Um, but again, another thing that leapt out was that a large number of the cast are dead. Well, I know you've pointed out that they, they, they are They generally all... weren't, weren't spring chickens in this, and this is 25 years ago. Roger Lloyd Pack, I mean, he wouldn't have, he's not, she died quite young. Emma Chambers, who was only 53 when she died, plays Alice the Verger. And a couple of the other ones, yes, Ferdus, they were well into their 80s, if not 90s. And Trevor Peacock, who is still alive, but he was diagnosed with dementia about 10 years ago. He's in his late 80s. But I haven't seen these for years, so it's just a, a bit of a shock when they were still all uh, alive and now watching it again, and they're, they're not. So. The perils of digging into the archives, unfortunately. So that was The Vicar of Dibley. I, I would reckon, to anybody that's not ever watched any, it's worth your time. If you like the whole Four Weddings and a Funeral style of comedy and British rom-coms and sitcoms, I think this will appeal to you. It's all very uh, homely stuff. It's entertaining. It, it is what it is. You know what you're going to get when you go, go in for it. Um, 
It's not a faulty towers or a dad's army, but it does the job. It does the job. Yeah, that's that's our bottom line. It does the job. Yeah. And with that, we shall sign off and pass you back into the capable hands of Andy and Lisa for the rest of their podcast. We'll be invading at some other point, I'm sure, with our meaningful ramblings and a gin review or two. So thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye now. That's it for this time. In the next edition, we're joined by Paul Isles Rush. He's one of my oldest and dearest friends, and we'll all be sitting down to watch Matt Smith Doctor Who story, The Doctor's Wife. Until next time, thanks for listening, guys and girls. See you later. The Exton Moss experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.